If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to Luke chapter 7. Before we spend the next few moments uh, thinking about God's Word, let's uh, go to Him and ask for His help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Father, that today you would be pleased to feed your people. May your Holy Spirit do his work of informing us and transforming us, whether it be slow or fast. Help us to patiently wait and persevere with our eyes on Jesus, for it's in his name we pray, amen. Well, today is the Sunday before Easter, uh, Palm Sunday. If you want to read about what happened uh, that time Jesus rode into Jerusalem, you can go to Luke 19, read about the triumphal entry in verses 28 through 40 of Luke 19. I mean, this is a day of celebrating that triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It's the atmosphere of a king's coronation. Um, In many churches, I'm sure you've seen it, um, children kind of lead a processional with palm branches, kind of reenacting what we read in Scripture. In Matthew, in Mark, in John, we will hear these words, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in Luke, Luke 19, verse 38, we we read these words, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, this is how that day is described, but we Unlike those people there, we know the rest of the story, don't we? Of what happens after Palm Sunday, that Passion Week as Rob has highlighted. The narrative in Scripture moves from the high, as it were, of Palm Sunday to the, to the, to the low, to the sadness and somberness of Maundy Thursday into the darkness of Good Friday. King Jesus, that's how he's referred to here in Luke. Jesus is indeed king and he will be going into battle that week in Jerusalem. But it's not going to be with physical enemies, nor does Jesus brandish physical weapons of war. No, he will do battle with his enemy with our enemy, the enemies of sin and death. And we know that he wins that battle. And next Sunday, Lord willing, because we just don't know what can happen between Sundays. Lord willing that we will gather and joyfully celebrate his victory over sin and death in his resurrection. Well, in God's good providence, We are headed from a high point in Luke to a low point. Uh, In the past few weeks, we've seen the highs of healing. The centurion's servant who was at the point 
of death, who was recognized for having great faith. We saw last week of Jesus not just healing someone at the point of death, but someone who was beyond death, who was dead, the raising of the widow's son. We've seen the compassion of Jesus. But now, now we will read of the doubt of John the Baptist. We last saw John the Baptist in chapter three, and we pick up, and so if you can project the uh, scripture reading, thanks. Let's listen to how Luke's narrative continues and moves, as it were, from high to low. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Well, let's, let's recount the situation. His friends have come back and, and told him of the miracles, right? The disciples of John reported all these things, what Jesus had been doing. But John, in response, John the Baptist, in response to hearing that, he is unsure. Are you the one? Now, why is John unsure? Why does he doubt Remember, John, in being the forerunner of Jesus, was proclaiming that Jesus was going to come and, and exercise judgment. Remember, the, the, uh, the axe is at the root. He was proclaiming, repent, because judgment was coming. Could John the Baptist also have been with the... The, the majority thought of the day that that Messiah that was coming, yes, he was coming to judge. Yes, he was the fulfillment of God's promises. But you know what? We are tired of Rome ruling our land and our people. Is the Messiah going to free us politically, militarily? That could have been what John is thinking. If you look back at John, excuse me, at Luke chapter 3, verse 20, we read of John being put in prison. Remember, John was speaking against the sin of Herod and his wife. And Herod didn't like that. Herod put John in prison, and John disappears from the narrative. And then Jesus begins his public ministry. It was after that. John had been in prison. And so he hasn't heard Jesus preaching in the synagogue or on 
the plain. He's not witnessed the amazement of the people when it comes to the authority of Jesus. Nor has he seen the great crowds that we have seen being seized by fear and glorifying God. For all we know, John sits alone in prison, alone with his thoughts. John is doubting. He's unsure. Are you the one, he asked of Jesus, or should we expect someone else? John is doubting. And so Luke, in his effort to provide certainty about Jesus, Luke turns his attention to doubt. Why? Why? Well, because if we're honest, we all, or at least most of us, the vast majority of us, deal with it. God knows this, and the Holy Spirit leads Luke to bring up and tackle the issue of doubt in this section on John the Baptist. Think about some questions that not only other people may have, but questions that you yourself may have. Is Christianity real? Is it real? Is Jesus really who he says he is? Is Jesus the only way or just one of the ways? Maybe last Sunday, for those of you that were here, when I asked, do you know the specificity of the compassion of Jesus? Yes, it's sovereign, but do you know that compassion that has your zip code, your phone number, your address on it? You may have answered, no. I don't know Jesus's compassion. I don't know it. I'm in a dark place. I'm hurting. I need it, but I don't feel it. You may also have remembered this question. Do you believe the compassion of Jesus is life-saving and life-changing? You may have said to yourself, I, I know it intellectually, but I don't know it experientially. My, my life is not changing. I, I'm in a ditch. I'm in a rut. It's dark. It's cold. I found myself on a, not only a cul-de-sac, where I just end up headed back in the direction I came, but, but I'm on a dead-end street. Maybe you've prayed for years for the salvation of someone you loved and God has not done the miracle that you've been praying for. Whatever the reasons for John's doubt, and we've shared a bit, 
and whatever reasons for your doubt. Luke is going to address this topic by looking at the story of John the Baptist. I believe Luke is going to show us four things, at least four things to do when it comes to doubt. First, when in doubt, realize that doubt is normative. It's normal, it's common, it's okay, it's to be expected. Now from the scriptures, if you look a few verses later, in verse 28, listen to what Jesus says. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. How would you like Jesus to say that about you? Can it get any higher? Is that the superlative? None greater. And what is John doing? The greatest. He's doubting. My friends, if it happens to John, it can happen to you. It's normal. It's common. It can be expected. Now, now, if you look at your life, don't say, well, I'm just weak. I'm not really intellectual. I'm, I'm not really good thinker. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. Uh, that's why I doubt. That's why I doubt and I don't have strong faith. My friends, if, if according to Jesus, the greatest man born of woman, John the Baptist, has doubts, you and I are in good company, solid company. Let's go forward in some church history. Augustine, the great church father, rightly claimed by both Roman Catholics and Protestants. He said this, doubt is but another element of faith. Interesting. And if you read his confessions, his unique autobiography of coming to faith and growing in faith, Augustine himself, of whom a lot of our theology can go back to Augustine, said, doubt is but another element of faith. If you read Luther, one of the great leaders of the Reformation, he had doubts. If you read Calvin, another great leader, he had doubts. And interestingly, if you look at what Calvin, John Calvin wrote about Abram and God's covenant with Abram and his commentary on Genesis, interestingly, and if you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis 15, there's the great verse in Genesis 15, verse 6. And he, that is Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness, right? Abraham believed God. But then, just two verses later, verse 8, but he, Abram, said to said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Interestingly, Calvin looks at this time in Abram's life and, and he sees that, that God said that Abram believed, but here he's doubting. How will I know? And Calvin sees it's because it's a protracted delay between God's promise and his fulfillment. And interestingly, Calvin says that his questioning with God is rather a proof of faith 
rather than just incredulity, just dismissing it. Those of you may have heard of Francis Schaeffer. He went through a period, a crisis of faith. You can read about it in his book, True Spirituality. Francis Schaeffer had to go back to square one. He was in ministry. He was shaken. He, he had to go and be by himself for some time and go back and go to the Lord. Are you real? Is your word true? He had a crisis of faith. He had to go back to the beginning. Well, just a few miles from here, at God's Bible College, God's Bible School and College there in the Mount Auburn area, one of its most well-known professors, Oswald Chambers, you may know him of being the author of My Utmost for His Highest, did teach in Cincinnati, just a few miles from here. And he said this, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. So when in doubt, not only realize that it's normative, but also when in doubt, Share your doubt. Don't pretend. Don't hide. Talk to someone. Look at the text. You know, oftentimes we, we think we can't share our weaknesses. We can't share our fears. We can't share our doubts. But John shares his concerns and his friends support him. He calls two of his disciples to him and he sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the one who is to come? They, he shares his doubt with his disciples, his friends. They support him. They don't dismiss it. You don't read in here of his disciples saying, hey, John, you told us to believe God's word. And what do you mean is he the one? No. You see, doubt really does grow in the dark. It, it, doubt is harder to grow in the light. Doubt is fed by guilt and shame. But when you share it, it starts coming into the light. Um, I think it's good to ask ourselves, are, are we the kind of people, and is this the kind of place that welcomes questions? that welcomes questions. I mean, you hear stories, I think, increasingly now of people who are, as it were, rejecting Christianity. You know, are we a safe place? Are you a safe person for someone to ask questions? Can you handle someone sharing their doubts with you? Do you take the time to listen? Do I take the time to listen? Do we take the time to understand the questions or just fire off some answer? You know, do, do we have a sign, as it were, on the door of this church that said, doubt is welcome here? Or do we have rather another sign outside that says, no doubt allowed 
certainty only. Some of, I told this to you all, some of you the other day, I like to take pictures of bumper stickers that I, you know, if it's safe to take a picture of a bumper sticker, right? Um, when you're at a stoplight, not always safe. A lot of bumper stickers. And here's one I saw a few years ago. You've heard it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. What's your reaction to that? How do you think John the Baptist would react to that bumper sticker. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. No, John the Baptist didn't buy the bumper sticker. So when in doubt, realize that it's normative. Share it with someone. Share your doubt with someone. And when in doubt, recognize that doubt is often confusing. And doesn't make sense. Here we are on Palm Sunday. Historically, it's a day of triumph and celebration. And we know the rest of the story, of course, even though you've got the sadness of Maundy Thursday and the darkness of Good Friday, we know that Sunday's coming, right? The resurrection Joy and every Lord's day is another day to remember the resurrection. Now, with all of that knowledge, all of that understanding, I'm willing to bet that even on Palm Sunday, some of you sitting or maybe even standing are dealing with doubt. Are any of you struggling right now today, doubting whether God can be trusted? What's happening here in our text? Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, and John is confused. He's, he can't make sense. Remember, the disciples of John reported all these things, all these things all these things. They've basically reported on the ministry of Jesus that they've been a part of and witnessed all while John is in prison. And he's struggling. He's confused. He can't make sense of it. He can't say immediately, Jesus, you're the one. No. Are, is he the one? Are you the one? It, it, it's often confusing I know the scriptures, I hear what's happening, but I'm confused. It doesn't make sense. Why am I in prison? If this man has come to, as he said in his synagogue sermon in Nazareth, to announce liberty for the captives, release for the prisoners, why am I in prison? Are any of you all right now confused by God's word, struggling to make sense of it? We read of the greatest of men born of woman is struggling, is confused, trying to make sense. 
So when doubt is confusing and doesn't seem to be making sense, nonetheless, hold on to God's word of promise. How does Jesus respond to John's question? John sent his two of his disciples and Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus doesn't respond in a dismissive, condescending manner, right? He points to God's word. He points and says it's being fulfilled in him. You see, John is in prison and he hasn't been able to see with his eyes what Jesus is doing. But Jesus is telling John through his two disciples to believe God's word written and in the flesh. When in doubt, nonetheless, hold on to, hang on to, cling to God's word of promise. I think here the issue may be really not faith versus doubt as much as it's patient faith versus impatient faith. You see, John wants to know now. He he wants to know If he's in prison, when am I getting out? When is this Messiah going to usher in the kingdom? And John is rightly thinking about judgment. But as you know, Jesus' ministry thus far is all about mercy. So some of you may be saying right now in your mind, I can't be patient. I I can't wait. I've I've got to get out of this confusing time. The struggle is too much. I can't wait. It needs to be over. Have you asked God for patience? Have you asked him for patience? It's amazing, isn't it? Scripture is honest about how people even leaders like John the Baptist respond to God's unusual and surprising ways. His ways are not our ways, not just higher and better, but different. We wouldn't have come up with it like this. Doubt often brings reflection and growth and pardon the pun, but no doubt John is reflecting on things in prison. His cellmate is his own thoughts. 
It's a time for reflection, a time for growth. I mean, the Christian life can be described in many ways. And of course, one way I think it's holding on to the promise, holding on to the word of promise. But you know, behind that on our part is the fact that Jesus holds on to us. We, we, we love because he first loved us. We hold on, we cling to We hang on to because God hangs on to us, holds on to us, as it were, clings to us. Because you see, the love that Jesus has for us is patient love and persevering love. So when in doubt, realize it's normative. Share your doubt with someone. Recognize that it's often confusing and doesn't make sense. And nonetheless, hold on to God's word of promise. And you know what? Jesus says that anyone doing this in the midst of doubt will be blessed. If you look back In chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Plain, verses 20 through 23, there's a series of blessings, beatitudes. Here, in verse 23, we read, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Is that in your list of beatitudes? Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. By me. Jesus declares a benediction, a blessing here. And so, this little episode here before Jesus turns around and talks about John. In this episode of, of, of John the Baptist in prison, wondering what is going on. Have I been wrong? Is he not the one? As he wraps this up, Luke wants us to know that we will be blessed when we don't give up on Jesus, even in our doubt. Jesus brings it all back to him, right? Who do you say that I am? It's, it's the great question. We saw it in the middle of Mark. Who do people say that I am? Jesus then says, who do you say that I am? It's a question that all of us sooner or later has to answer. It's all about Jesus. You see, Jesus is saying to John and others that blessing comes to the one who is not offended by the uniqueness of Jesus's way of ministry. Doubt can lead to walking away from faith. That is someone who becomes offended by Jesus. Jesus is a scandal. Jesus is a stumbling block. But doubt can also lead to walking closer to Jesus. That's someone who's not offended 
by Jesus. So what does this blessing look like? For John, he doesn't get out of prison. He doesn't even, as it were, die of old age in prison. He's executed. And yet, he has eternal life in Christ, unending life in him. My friends, I don't know what your expectations of Jesus are right now today. I don't know where you are in your doubt. But I can say this. Although Jesus may not be meeting your expectations today, if your doubt doesn't lead to taking offense at Jesus, you will be blessed with eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth. What does faith look like in the midst of doubt? No matter what level of doubt you may be dealing with today, you know what faith looks like? It's patient and it's persevering. May God be pleased to give all of us patient faith, persevering faith, faith even in the midst of doubt, even when our soul is weary, even today, even on Palm Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is not a fantasy, is not, not a made up, make us feel good, pie in the sky. It is utterly true. It is utterly honest. And we thank you, Father, for showing us through the question of John, through Jesus' response to John, that it's okay to have questions. It's okay to struggle. And so, Father, we thank you that you are a God who is patient with your people, who, is, who perseveres with your people. And we thank you, God, that we could bring our doubts and our questions and our concerns and our struggles to you. We thank you that you are that kind of God as revealed in the person and work of Jesus. Be pleased, Father, to draw us closer to Jesus today and all our days. We pray in his name. Amen. In the recognition response.